If you have a Bible, uh, I invite you to open it to 1 Peter chapter number 5. Uh, 1 Peter chapter number 5. We're going to be wrapping up a series that we've been in for I don't really know how many weeks um, anymore where we've been studying through uh, the letter of 1 Peter uh, on a topic called exiles. Obviously, um, the, the audience that Peter was writing to was a group of people who were scattered across the world because of their faith in Jesus, finding themselves in very unfamiliar territory and hostile environments as they continue to represent Jesus. And so we thought, man, doesn't that sound like our world today? What can we learn from Peter? What can we learn from this letter as we too uh, live as believers in Jesus in a world that maybe doesn't care very much about him. How can we love? How can we live? How can we represent Christ as exiles? So we're going to wrap that up, spend some time this morning in 1 Peter chapter number uh, 5. Our family got to spend just a, a few days this past week at the beach. Um, I, uh, I had the opportunity to lead a wedding for some friends down in Picayune, Mississippi. Uh, we served there for several years, developed a lot of really great relationships. And so um, I was joking with, uh, with Kayla this weekend, I, I think this may be the last one. Um, I don't think we developed any other relationships um, beyond this one. So uh, we went and did the, the wedding for some friends. Their daughter got married, and uh, it was a great time. But we spent several years in Picayune. Both of my, our kids were born in Picayune. Uh, what was great about that is Picayune is right down the road from Slidell, uh, Louisiana. And so both of my kids got to be born in Louisiana. Just makes sense. Uh, for Boudreaux's to have a Louisiana birth certificate. And so the Lord took care of me there. And uh, anyway, we, we certainly had some, some precious uh, years there. But anyway, when we were heading down there and wedding this weekend, we decided that uh, we would spend a couple of days at the beach, leave a little early, and just have some time uh, with our family. So we, we went down a little bit and uh, spent some days on the water and had a good time. One of the interesting things, though, that happened, my, my kids are getting a little bit older, and for those of you who have experienced, you know, life uh, with, with your kids, when we first used to go to the beach, it really wasn't a whole lot of fun. They would be out there for a few minutes, and then it would be hot, or it would be salt water, or the waves would be too much, or the sand, or whatever the case would be, and we would end up spending the majority of our time at a pool, and it was kind of like, we could just do that here at somebody's house who has a pool, so why'd we drive five hours away, you know, to do that? And so, Anyway, that would be a little frustrating, but as they're getting older, they like the beach, you know, more and more and more. And so playing in the waves and being out in the water, you know, they're getting older, they're getting braver. And so, you know, we're having a little bit more fun, you know, jumping in the waves and having a good time. But anyway, while we were there this time, of course, you know, my kids are certainly getting braver, going a little deeper um, and a little bit more. But while we were out there, there was a moment, several people, you know, were in the water with us and someone noticed a particularly large fish that was around us. Now, I don't really know how many species of fish there are in the water, but regardless of how many there are, it had to be a shark. Like, there's no other way around it. Um, there was a shark um, in the water. And so, even though we don't, you know, we, we don't know what it was, and, you know, we really didn't see uh, it ever again, Josiah was convinced that if that thing was in the water, he was not in the water. And so, he was done uh, with his time in the water, and so he come up and he sat by me, um, you know, in a little chair on the sand and was just kind of like, you know, here I am, what, what else are we going to do? And so anyway, he's sitting there and I'm like, hey man, look, I, you know, there, 
you're in the ocean. You know, there, there are fish here who call this home. So like, that's normal. When you're in the water, I said, what if I come out there with you? And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll play in the waves. We'll have a good time. But I, I'll be out there with you. We'll be good. And so I was going to go out there with him. Uh, Josiah was, you know, hesitant, of, of course. But he decided to go back out in the water as long as I would be out there with him. Now, the fish didn't matter as much as, as long as I was there, but he still thought about the fish. He still asked about the fish, and he still watched for in case the fish came back. Regardless, though, he enjoyed the waves knowing that I was out there with him. And I thought as I was processing through this, and Kayla was talking about uh, this, this, this uh, instance that happened, it made me think, doesn't that sound a little bit like life? We want to enjoy the waves, but we're worried oftentimes about what's in the water. I thought to myself as I was processing that, who cares what's in the water when you know the master of the waves? Like, think about that for a moment. Josiah didn't want to go back out in the water until I got out there with him. Soon as he knew that I was, he knew that I was going to take care of him, he was fine with embarking on some territory that he was a little scared of. Janelyn likes the smaller waves, but when daddy's out there, she's fine to take on the bigger waves. Why? Because what's in the water doesn't matter as much when you know the person who's in the water with you. Isn't that what it looks like to live every day? I don't know if you know this, friends, but God goes before us. He has a plan. He has provided the church with everything that it needs to change the world. The question becomes this. Will we trust him and will we follow his plan? Peter's been writing to this audience for a long time now. He's been explaining a lot of things about their suffering and their trials and their tribulations. He's been describing to them how they can continue to represent Jesus even in a world that doesn't care, how they can continue to live for Christ even if nobody else will. And he deals with so many things that are hard to wrestle with and how can we do it and how can we move forward? And then he ends the letter with some incredible encouragement with this simple fact, God goes before you. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's got provision. He's working all of it out. Will you follow him? And I feel like Peter's still resonating that same question to the church today. Will we follow him? We don't know what's in the water. There are plenty of uncertainties. We don't know how hard the waves are going to crash in. Absolutely, there's some danger. But friends, what does it look like when we know that the master of the waves is there with us. Listen, Peter gives us the plan. He teaches us at the end of the letter how God has gone before us. He's standing in the water with us, so it doesn't matter as much what's in the water. Now listen, I want to show you this because this isn't for me, this, but I want you to see how he charges us to continue to advance the gospel, how he goes before us, and what he's doing on our behalf to continue to make the name of Jesus famous. Let me show you a couple of things. Here's the first one. God prepares guidance for his church. He prepares guidance. You say, Danny, how are we going to do it? How are we going to be the church? How are we going to live and represent Jesus in a world that's hostile to him? Well, let me tell you one way. God provides guidance. Look at verse 1 in 1 Peter chapter 5. He writes this, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be 
revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. He begins with the guidance that he prepares for the church. Now, I want to pause here for a moment because the word elders really just means an older man. Now, it probably refers to uh, more to wisdom than it does to age, even though most of us would probably agree that wisdom comes from age. The word elder is used a lot throughout the New Testament, especially when it comes to the structure of the early church. As a matter of fact, the Jerusalem church had elders. We find them in Acts chapter 11. The early fathers of the Hebrew people were considered elders. We read about it in Hebrews chapter 11. Members of the Sanhedrin were considered chief priests, scribes, and even elders. We read about it in Matthew chapter 16. As a matter of fact, there are three primary words in the New Testament to refer to what Peter refers to as elders, or what we might think of as in the church. The first word is the one he uses here that we translate as elder. Literally means an older man. It's used of leaders or pastors in the local church. As a matter of fact, there's also occasions in the New Testament where females are identified as elders who are also leading and guiding in various ministries throughout the church. It's a leadership position among God's people. Another word that's used in the New Testament is the word overseer, or we might literally translate it as bishop. It typically referred to a pastor or a leader of a local church. And then there's actually the word that we translate as pastor or shepherd, obviously referring to pastors like we typically think about in our churches and our circles today. And so this is somewhat the group that Peter seems to be encouraging. These are the elders in whatever various churches he's writing to. If you were to flip back to the beginning of the letter of 1 Peter, you would discover that he's writing to a whole host of different areas and scattered abroad because of their faith in Jesus. All of those local bodies, all of those groups that are now being spread about, all those churches that are popping up all across the country so that people can hear the name of Jesus, he's reminding them, hey, those of you who are elders, those of you who are leaders, those of you who are wise in the faith, I've got some charge for you. I want you to share shepherd the flock of God. I want you to lead. I want you to guide. I want you to rule. I want you to help people understand what it means to follow after me, even in a distant place. Now, Peter may or may not be referring to an actual pastor or senior pastor of a church like we think about them today, at least in our Southern Baptist circles. And the reason why that may be is because he calls himself a fellow elder. Now, you may not know this, but in church history, Peter was never a pastor. However, it is thought that he was probably one of the elders as First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. And so he's commenting on any of those people who are in some type of leadership position within the church. Now, of course, elders can refer to pastors. We've already mentioned that. And in fact, Paul talks about this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.17 when he writes, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, especially those. Now, I'm not highlighting that because I'm preaching and teaching. I'm highlighting that because they're not the only elders. Like when we think about pastors, we think about leaders in our local church, you might typically think about me, 
Or you might think about the more traditional uh, senior pastor of a church, which is probably not me, but whoever you're thinking of, that's probably the position that you're thinking about. But that doesn't seem to be the only position that Peter's referring to. It seems to be that he's talking about all elders, all those who, that are leading and shepherding and casting oversight to the church so that the people of God can continue to, to suffer well and, and share the gospel and represent Jesus and continue to live the way that Jesus wants them to live. But what's interesting is the necessity of this type of numbers or what we might refer to as the plurality of elders. Now, we don't typically think about churches like this because we in Southern Baptist circles have kind of structured our churches a little bit different than maybe other New Testament type churches. We have pastors and we have ministers and we have, uh, you know, leaders and we have deacons and we have maybe other various spots depending on where you are. But a lot of churches have titles within their church referred to as elders. And there's actually a pretty good purpose for this. Let me give you a couple of them. One, it protects the church from biblical error. There's a ability in the teaching of Scripture so that one man doesn't dominate the interpretation of the Bible. In other words, Danny said it must be true. No, there's a group that would come alongside of each other and say, hey, let's interpret the Bible, let's see what the Lord wants, and let's guide the church in the direction that the Lord seeks. Another way is that it protects the church from imbalance. In other words, one man's ego or personality doesn't dominate the overall direction of the church. It doesn't become Danny Baptist Church, right? That gets a little weird. It's not about me. It's about what God's doing. This is his flock, not mine. I'm just a steward. I'm just the one serving as an under-shepherd to the chief shepherd that Peter mentions. Also, it protects the church from a lack of leadership. When a pastor leaves or is called to a new assignment, the church has plenty of elders to continue to lead, to continue to help the church along as it serves the cause of Christ. Now, what are they doing? Well, it says that they are shepherding the flock of God. The word shepherd means to tend or to pasture. Literally, a shepherd caring for sheep. Figuratively, it means to lead, to guide, or to rule. It's very likely that Peter is actually thinking about a moment that he had with Jesus right before his ascension. You probably remember the famous moment in Peter's life where Jesus is on trial and he's about to be crucified and Peter's following at a distance watching everything happen until someone notices, hey, you're one of those guys who was following Jesus. And we know what Peter does. On three different occasions at least, Peter denies that he's ever followed Christ. And then when Jesus is resurrected and he comes back to his disciples to commission them to continue to advance the gospel, you might remember this scene where Jesus is talking to Peter and on three different occasions he says, Peter, do you love me? Well, then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Well, then tend the flock. Peter, do you love me? Well, then feed my sheep. And it seems as though in three denials, Jesus comes back and forgives him for those three and then commissions him to lead the church forward. Now you say, Danny, why are you bringing that up? Because when Peter is having that conversation with Jesus and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Peter, he said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. 
Well, the word that Jesus used for tend my sheep is the same exact word that Peter now exhorts other leaders to shepherd the flock of God. It's as if to say, here's what Jesus told me to do. Now I'm commissioning you to do the same thing. And so he's urging, he's encouraging those elders to do that, to shepherd the flock among you. Now, how do they do it? Well, Peter says they exercise oversight. Now, I want to tell you what's so fascinating about these short verses when it comes to elders and leaders within the church. We already talked about the three different words that are used in the New Testament for a leader or a pastor or an elder. Well, in this particular moment, Peter uses all three of those words from the New Testament to describe a leader all within these same verses. He tells them that they are elders, he tells them that they are to shepherd, and he tells them that they are to to exercise oversight. All three of those words are the words in the New Testament that are used for leaders. And so clearly, Peter's saying, for those of you who are wise in the faith, you have been commissioned, you've been challenged, you've been charged to lead the church forward. Why? Because God prepares guidance for his church. He does not leave us on our own. Provides leaders that can continue to advance the gospel. What kind of leaders? Well, he goes on. He says, not under compulsion. In other words, they don't have to be begged. They don't have to be pleaded with. They don't have to be the last one in a list of 50 that finally says yes when God's calling them out to lead. No, no, no. He says, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Like, think about that, friends. Someone asks you to lead. Someone asks you to be a part of a team. Someone asks you to serve in some particular way that you can be used by God to further the kingdom. It shouldn't be something that has to be begged of you. It should be something that you realize these people have prayed over this. God has led them to my name, and now he's asking me to serve him, and I should do it willingly. I get the opportunity to serve the Lord. He says, not for shameful gain. It's not for financial benefit or social, spiritual benefit, really. There's nothing different between leaders and those who are uh, not leading in those positions. God sees us the same, loves us equally. The question is, are we serving for his gain or are we serving for our own? He says not for shameful gain, but eagerly, that they would be ready in all situations to serve the Lord, eagerly longing to do the will of God. He says, not domineering over those in your charge. You are not the end-all, be-all, right? It's not your way or the highway. That's never how God presents his leaders in the church. No, no, no. Not domineering over those in your charge, but rather being examples to the flock. You say, Daniel, what do you mean examples? Well, Jesus has a moment in Matthew chapter 20, where he calls his disciples together, and he tells them these words. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you, you must be, you must be your slave. First among you must be your slave. Sorry, I, I butchered that a little bit. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, what example are leaders to be to the flock? They're the ones to be showing them how Jesus laid it all down on their behalf, and so should we. An example for others to follow in order to give an accurate picture of what a believer was to be like. Listen, Peter 
doesn't want leaders in the church to forget who they serve. They shepherd the flock of God. What is God wanting to do? How is God wanting to leave? He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You know who the shepherd really is? His name is Jesus. You know what we're all doing? We're trying to follow his every lead. Friend, is that us? You say, Danny, I'm not an elder. He's, I really don't think he's only talking about pastors. As a matter of fact, here's what I think he's talking about. I think he's talking about all sorts of people within the church that God has given wisdom to and leadership abilities to and has gifted them in order to train up the next generation to continue to serve Jesus too. Friends, listen, God prepares guidance for his church and he might be wanting to use you. How are you being an elder for somebody else in God's church? How are you leading someone, guiding someone, directing someone, ruling someone? How are you helping somebody who is less wise in the faith, less mature in the faith? How are you helping them become more like Jesus? You say, Danny, I'm not. Well, then I would ask you why not. Obviously, I think Peter's talking about particular leaders within those local bodies. I don't discredit that from first. I think there is a greater meaning in this context of how God provides guidance in the local church in various ways as those who have been given wisdom, those who have gone through experiences, those who are able to disciple someone else who's younger in the faith should be discipling someone else who's younger in the faith. Friend, who are you discipling to be more like Jesus. I want to show you something else. God certainly presents guidance, but I want to show you this too. God provides grace to his church. He presents guidance to his church without a doubt, doesn't leave us on our own, but he also provides grace to his church. He talks about leaders. He talks about elders. He talks about wisdom, but watch what he does in verse five. Look at this. First Peter five, verse five. Likewise, in other words, all that I said to those leaders, right? Be an example. Serve the Lord, not under compulsion, but willingly, eagerly, not being an example. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, both leaders, members, whoever, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now listen, I don't want you to miss this, because I just think this is so significant. I think for the church to continue to advance, to wade into deeper, deeper waters, to impact the world for the name of Jesus, I believe for that to happen greater, there are moments where we are elders and we are speaking wisdom into the lives of people who are less mature in the faith than we are. And I think there are other times where we're the less mature people in the faith and God's wanting to use an elder or someone wiser or more mature in the faith to speak into us. Friends, let me tell you what Jesus is painting a picture of. It's humility. It's a, I don't know it all. I'm not the best. I'm not the greatest. Jesus is. And I submit myself to his leadership. And if there's someone I can uh, invest in, I will invest in them. Or if I need to shut my mouth and let somebody invest in me, then I will also be humble enough to say, you know what? I'm the one who needs to grow in this moment, not somebody else. I think he's saying the church works best when not only the, the guidance that he prepares, but the grace that he provides is also received. You say, Danny, what do you mean? I think the more we submit ourselves, 
to the leadership of Jesus. The more that we say we don't know it all, but Jesus does, the more he pours his grace into us. The more we say we're not everything, the more we put ourselves lower, the more Jesus will exalt us as he pours more and more and more of himself. You say, Danny, what do you mean? He goes on in verse six, here's what Peter writes. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. You know what I wonder if Peter has a picture of? I wonder if Peter's sitting there and he's, he's thinking about the churches and he's, and he's challenging them and charging them to continue to advance the gospel forward even though it's scary, even though the waters get deeper, even though there's some kind of fish out there swimming that we don't know about. And he's trying to help them see, listen, we've got to make the name of Jesus famous even in the midst of suffering and trials and tribulation. Like we've, we've, we've got to continue to move forward, not for ourselves, but for him. And I think in that moment, he's thinking, clothe yourselves with humility. Put yourself under others. Live an example like Jesus gave. And I wonder if he's thinking about this. You remember that moment when Jesus gathered all of his disciples into that upper room, last meal with them before he's crucified on a cross and dies for the sins of the world, right? Amen. And he's got them all in there. And right before they enjoy a meal together, Jesus takes off his robe and he picks up a towel and he clothes himself with a towel, right? And then he reaches down and gets some water, and on his hands and knees, he begins to scrub his disciples' nasty feet. You remember this moment? Matter of fact, Peter remembers it vividly, because you know what he did? He said, no, Jesus, you are not washing my feet. And Jesus is like, Peter, for you to have a part with me, I gotta got wash your feet. And then Peter's like, well, Jesus, don't just wash my feet. My whole body's dirty. I need you to wash everything. And then Jesus is like, Peter, hold on. Let me, let me finish what's happening. And he washes his feet. And he moves on to the next disciple. And he washes his feet. And he moves on to the next disciple. And Jesus gets up, towel around his waist. King of kings, Lord of lords, right? If anybody deserved a throne, it was him. But he stepped off the throne to embrace a towel. And he looks at his disciples and he says, hey, we're not about being first. We're not about being at the best seat at the table. We're not about things being about us. No, no, no. You know what we are? We're going to be the servant of one another, because we're going to show so much love to the world, it's going to change. And then you know what Jesus did shortly after that? He did much more than just take off his garment and put on a towel. He took off everything and climbed on a cross and died for the sins of the world. You know what he was doing? He was providing grace for his church. You know what happens when we huffs? and submit to one another, and seek out the good of those rather than ourselves. You know what happens when we begin to proclaim the name of Jesus and make him great rather than us? Here's what happens. As we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God at the proper time, he will exalt you. You know what happened? Jesus said, God, you're better. Matter of fact, there's a famous passage of scripture in Philippians chapter two that we can almost all recite by heart. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself to the point, lowest point of a servant, so low, even death, death on a cross. 
And after he rose from the grave, God said, Jesus, come here. I got this spot for you. You may have been lower than anybody else, die on the cross for the sins of the world, but now you will be exalted and you will be the name above every other name so that every knee bow, every tongue will confess, right? On heaven, on earth, heaven, under the earth, all will confess you as Lord. And Peter says this, humble yourselves as Jesus did, because one day in that humility, Jesus will exalt you. Well, how does that humility continue? Look at what he says in verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You know what happens when we humble ourselves? The grace of Jesus begins to be poured more and more into our lives. And the more we make ourselves low, the more God lifts us up. For us, no, 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 for his glory and his honor so that his name could be made famous. So you know how that humility continues to grow as we cast every care away from ourselves and onto him. We don't have all the answers. We don't know how to fix everything. It's not about us, even to the point that we don't even carry our own anxieties. We don't even carry our own stress. We don't even care worry. We so are dependent on Jesus above even ourselves. We have experienced humility to a point where we don't even care about the cares of this world anymore. Rather, we cast them on the one who cares for us. King David put it like this in Psalm 55. He said, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. You know what happens when we humble ourselves, when we cast our cares on Jesus, he pours out and lavishes on us his grace over and over and over. Why? Because for his name to be made famous, not only does he need guidance to take place in the church, but he needs to pour out his grace on us. I love what Warren Wearsby wrote about this. He said, Peter's theme has been grace. So he closes by reminding the saints that their God is the God of all grace. The Christian goes from grace to grace. The Christian saving grace. It continues with serving grace, then sanctifying grace. God also gives sacrificing grace, singing grace, speaking grace, strengthening grace, and suffering grace. He gives more grace. Amen. Let me show you this too, though. God promises goodness for his church. Say, Danny, how are we going to continue to advance the gospel? Won't it be hard? Absolutely. But he goes before us. Do we have to worry about what's in the water? No, because we have the one who commands the waves right next to us. He promises goodness for his church. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Look at verse 8. He says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Listen to me, friends. This is not the first time Peter's heard this. I don't know if you remember this, but this is what Jesus told Peter in Luke chapter 22. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Friends, I don't know how many people are praying for you, but when Jesus is praying for you, you better believe you can take that goodness to the bank and cash it in. It's Jesus. He says, resist him. Verse 9, look at it, resist him. He's there, he's roaring like a lion. He wants to devour you, but resist him, not in your power, but firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered, look at verse 10, watch this. And after you have suffered a little while, by the way, 
Even though the master of the waves is next to us, it doesn't mean he stops the waves, right? Sometimes they still just keep crashing and crashing and crashing. Doesn't mean the water doesn't get deeper. Doesn't mean the big fish aren't out there. He is out there. He is a roaring lion devour. It says, after you have suffered a little while, watch this, the God of all grace, there's that theme again, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Watch it, here's the goodness. Will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Watch it, look at verse 11. To him be the dominion forever and ever, amen. God promises goodness for his church. You say, Danny, does that mean I'm never gonna suffer? No. Danny, does that mean sometimes life won't be hard? Absolutely not. But you know what you can take from here on out? Maybe you're here, you're struggling with something, wrestling, it's been tough. I don't know where you are, but let me tell you something. God promises goodness for his church. After you have suffered a little while, he himself, God, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. I don't know about you, but when God restores, it ain't broken down. Firms, ain't nobody taken away. When it's strengthened, it will never be weakened. And when he establishes, you ain't gotta worry about anything else, friends. He promises goodness for his church. Watch this last thing. How does it continue to advance? How do we live as exiles in this world? Well, watch what God does. He goes before us. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. Will we follow him? Watch this. God produces growth for his church. There's a lot of things, right? Presents, prepares guidance for his church. Love it, right? Provides grace for his church. Definitely can't do it without that. Promises goodness. We're not on our own, but watch this. This is where it gets real. He produces growth for his church. Look at the end of it. He says, but Sylvanus, probably Silas, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is in, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. You say, Danny, what in the world's happening? I, he's just saying goodbye. But can I tell you what he teaches us in all these names? And all this discussion and all these memories that are flooding his mind as he thinks about all these people, you know what he's reminding us of? God produces growth. You think it was always easy for Silas? No, we remember some of the things that happened to Silas. You think it was easy for her who is at Babylon, probably the church at Rome, who's suffering greater than any of these who have fled the scene? No, it's not easy for her. You think it was easy for Mark? No, it wasn't easy for Mark. He was persecuted over and over, but he could still write, even thinking about these lives, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Why? Because even as the world's trying to stop the name of Jesus, his name is advanced. Nothing could stop it. Nothing could keep it from reaching the masses. Why? Because even though we're not sure what's in the water, we know that the master of the waves is standing there with us. Listen, friends, God has a plan to use his church to change the world. Peter's been preparing his audience for the advancement of the gospel, even in a world that doesn't care about Jesus. God's guidance, grace, goodness, growth, they're all for the church to continue to advance the name of Jesus to the world. Here's the question. Are you, are we following his plan? 
Listen, I don't know what you got going on today. I don't know what's happening in your life. I don't know how much of 1 Peter you were able to study with us or what you missed, but here's all you need to remember. Actually, not really all, but we'll leave it here. Though life is difficult, though we don't have all the answers, though the water gets deeper and who knows what's in it, those shadows are real and they're probably not something nice. Doesn't matter. Because the one who holds it all in the palm of his hand loves us. The one who holds it all has a plan and a purpose for us. The one who commands even the waves that are the toughest against our lives. He is right there with us every step of the way. Friends, can I tell you something? God wants to advance the gospel to the ends of the world. And he has allowed us to be a part of it. He's invited us into it. Will we embrace that call? Will we lead when we need to lead? Will we listen when we need to listen? Will we watch Satan as he lurks to destroy? Will we continue to leverage everything we have for the gospel? Friends, listen, will we advance the name of Jesus? You say, Danny, I don't even know if I like Jesus. Listen, if that's you, you know, with Christ today, can I tell you something? This plan, this power, this grace, this goodness, it's for you, friend. I'd love to take my Bible and tell you how you can begin following Jesus today. Listen, if you're in here, you say, Danny, you don't realize what all I've dealt with. I love God, but I am so confused right now. Friend, though you suffer for a little while, the God of all of the universe, he will restore, he will sustain, he will establish, he will strengthen, he will do it. He promises his goodness. Keep pushing forward, standing firm, not in you, but in him. Listen, I don't know what kind of reminder you need. I don't know what kind of challenge you need. I don't know where you are, what you need to do with God, whatever that business looks like. I don't know. But here's what I do want to tell you. I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to walk back there to that lobby. If you need somebody to pray with you over something, I'll be right back there. You come find me. You need to know how to follow Jesus. You come find me. I'll take my Bible and show you. You need to pray just with you and God. This time is yours. The only thing I know is this. (laughs) When the word of God is preached, it demands a response from us. How is God wanting you to respond to his word today? Whatever that is, you do it. Father, we love you. Thank you. You're awesome.